medical department, only two go to the bench, and we are more than a dozen. We're still fighting for this title. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. We don't train, we only recover. That's a, that's a situation. We can, get, we can get our doctors back there to help out. We have to make sure we're the fittest, the strongest, most powerful. That when we get out there, we can put on a good show. Preparation, hard work, confidence in overcoming those difficult moments. Today we're still outside Liverpool and we are going through the first part of the medical test. Important to be on the bench for some. For others it's more important what they do behind the scenes. Welcome to this Football Medicine and Performance podcast. I am Andrew Shafiq, a doctor in Newcastle and your host for today's podcast. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Liam Anderson. Liam is the Head of Sports Science and Medicine at Crew Alexandra Football Club and carried out his PhD at Liverpool Football Club. He's also a lecturer at the International Soccer Science and Performance Federation. Thank you for joining us, Liam. Hi, Andrew. You okay? Yeah, good to have you on board today, Liam. Um, Today we're going to discuss keeping non-starting players fit in professional football, which is a topic that Liam is highly interested in and very relevant to our listeners. Just to introduce the topic nicely, Liam, do you mind by starting off by discussing a kind of typical training week um, and how this is different for different players? Yeah, so I think with modern day, modern day technology and the way coaches have really developed, I think this idea of tactical periodization has really has really taken off. And there's numerous different ways on how you can do this tactical periodization. But I think the most common English model um, speaking is a, a recovery day on a Monday, a high loading day on a Tuesday. For this is for all players, not just starting non-starters. Um, and then a sort of tactical preparation slash taper and leading on a Thursday and then the, the game prep on a Friday and I think the only area in that place there within that training week for non-starting players to get additional loading really is on the Monday session but there also will be loading high high up on the Monday session with, with another high load on the Tuesday session as well so there's obviously implications to think of within that within that structure with regards to the actual loading of each individual players and loading too much at any given time within the weekly microcycle. That's brilliant, Liam. And we know you, you have a special interest and have carried out some some great work looking at the non-starting living within a professional squad. What are the difficulties that you have found from experience that the non-starting eleven face, kind of specifically relating to, to more of the, the physical changes and the science behind this? Yes, yeah, so I started... I did a little bit of work back in 2016 as part of my PhD and I looked at the, the difference between the, the starting and non-starting players. We actually grouped it into three players as well, the fringe players, which were the ones getting some match minutes, but not, not a great deal still. And what what we seen was that the high intensity loading was actually not, not able to be matched. That's the distances covered in uh, high speed running and sprinting. And which is also indicative potentially of the, the lack of training sessions, but they all they were able to consume the that perform the same amount of duration and total distance within the entire season. But it was actually those distances at high intensity that were actually lacking in the non-starting players. And if if you look at that within 
different studies as well. So there's a there's a study done in, in Portugal by uh, a researcher called João Silva, and he's found that a lot of the a lot of the actual um, physical performance parameters are reduced in the non-starting players to compare to the starting players. And also a study by one of my one of my uh, previous mentors, actually Ryland Morgans, uh, he's found that the the actual counter movement jump is greater in starting players than non-starting players, and he's linked that to the high-speed running that they can produce in games as well. So I think it's fairly evident that there is something missing within the training weeks and within the season for non-starting players if they're not to achieve enough minutes. And ultimately, it's it, it, we as performance practitioners need to try and overcome that in our, in our best possible way, really. That's great, and we've discussed there in, in great depth kind of the, the physical aspects influencing the, the not in starting 11, um, but obviously with kind of more hot topics recently with, with mental health and the psychological aspects of affecting athletes, what have you found are kind of the more important psychological and psychosocial aspects that are to, to be aware of in the non-starting 11? Yeah, so uh, I, think, I think it's fairly obvious that nine times out of ten, Unless a player is potentially making his first appearance on the bench or, or within, you know, early on in his career or her career, then it, it, they're not very happy about being on the bench. They're not very happy about not starting because ultimately that's what they're preparing every week. That's what they're training. That's what they do. They want to be involved in match day and they want to start pictures. And if they either don't receive enough minutes that they think they're entitled to or they don't get any minutes at all, then ultimately in that post-match period, there's a large negative psychological aspect to it and obviously that can be different win or lose state of the season um everything and i i noticed but it's it's relatively unresearched topic area there's only there's very few uh very 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 few research articles about the actual concept of feeling um dropped basically if you want to put it in football terms um yeah so i, I noticed really really negative aspects and I've tried numerous things and we have tried numerous things from a physical point of view and a technical tactical point of view in order to try to get players involved but it doesn't ever recreate that same intensity as as a training session when you're preparing for a game and it's great that you, you've touched on that it's difficult to kind of emulate that that specific game situation um and thinking about some of the other modalities which kind of can be utilized to maximize fitness of, of a group of players um again something i know that that's an interest of yours how how can resistance training be, be utilized to maximize um performance in the non-starting 11 specifically yeah so i think if you look at a typical a typical microcycle you usually probably lift on the on the monday or tuesday a lot of people and that's that's lifting weights because you're trying to do it as far as away from the next competitive game as possible now if, if they're getting that on a Tuesday, but what happens then if you have a Tuesday fixture and, a, and then a Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday, and sometimes they can go on for three, four weeks, then all of a sudden those non-starting players are getting no match load and also no resistance load too. Now, it's actually in the two studies with Zhao Silver and Ryan Morgans, it was actually the, the strength-related parameters that were dropped over the season. So that says to me that that's, that's a huge emphasis that we need to focus on in order to try to combat those effects now there's also a lot of research out there that says that you need at least one session per week to maintain to maintain the physical performance parameters that strength training produces so 
Um, so yeah, so that 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 gives the rationale, and it's just then about working out the logistics of how you actually do that. And I think for the first time, when I ever you know loaded up twenty kilo dumbbells onto the bus, so I got a few funny looks. Um, but the, it has gone down really well with the lads. And if you tell them that you're going to do a weight session rather than a running session it, because it's something different, you actually get some really good positive responses from it because they actually understand why they need to do that. That's really, that's really interesting uh, that you've mentioned that, especially with the resistance training. And are there any other kind of modalities that you've noticed? I mean, we've mentioned obviously the the physical aspect, the psychological, the psychosocial, the resistance training. Any other modalities in, you've noticed are specifically useful in maximising performance in the non-starting players? Yeah, so I think the most common one is post-match top-ups. Uh, I think everyone sees that generally with post-match top-ups after matches. So that usually involves... Um, you get a time limit really, especially at away grounds where you allowed up to 15 minutes of post-match conditioning. And that generally just tries to overload specific variables in that 15 minute time in order to provide as much response in whatever uh, physiological adaptation that you're looking for. And then that's probably been the most common one. And it sort of fits into the, the rest of the tactical periodization that managers have traditionally looked for because usually... The day after a game is a day off, it's a recovery day, and then the, the next day after that is a recovery day potentially on legs. Now, in recent years, and I've noticed this uh, probably from the time when I was finishing at Liverpool, and it's probably took off a lot more, is the match day plus one training sessions for the non-starting group. So all players are in on a match day plus one, and you split the group into two. The lads who played and the lads who didn't play. And that's for me, that, that's a that's a, one of the best points. But again, you have to link into what we mentioned previously, the, the psychosocial side of things, the, depending on what level you are and probably in the football pyramid. Because I know that doesn't really work very well at the level I'm at in the football pyramid because people have lives, they, they're, they're wives, they're girlfriends, they work Monday to Saturday and then Sunday is a day off. If we play on a Saturday, that is the only time of the week that they're going to spend with their family. So... We have to think about that side of things when planning the programme as well. But for me, that match day plus one, it can provide not just a physical load, also a technical tactical load. And then also you can look at things like controlling carbohydrate intake in order to maximise adaptations after that session. Because it is likely, along with the physical load being periodised, if the nutritional periodization is also taking the same effect, they're likely, start, they're likely finishing that match on a Saturday, for example, with high levels of muscle glycogen. Now, even after an overnight fast, then only the liver glycogen is likely to be depleted. So they still need to come in on that day and potentially try to utilise some of those muscle glycogen stores before otherwise players could potentially have less desirable body compositions who want, and it leaves them at a bigger disadvantage uh, when they're trying to break into the starting eleven. That's great, and I think nutrition alone could be kind of a whole podcast in its in yeah. its own right with nutritional periodization. But I think you, you touched on some great points there, and also correlating the different different levels of football across the pyramid, and you know what what becomes more important at, at different levels and how that can be utilised. Just just as we've got a little bit of time left, I think it'd be good to discuss something I know that again is is of interest of yours, and I think our listeners would be um, really interested to learn a little bit more about. 
Do you mind touching a bit briefly on the emerging trend of uh, invisible monitoring in elite football players um, and just giving a bit of background to the listeners, if that's okay? Yeah, sure. So I think this takes this when people say invisible monitor, I always think that, you know, what, what, how, are we, how are we doing that? And it's just, it, it can be literally anything. I think it's come commonplace in football now that, you know, players are coming in in the morning, they are doing the questionnaires, they're putting the GPS on, they're sometimes doing finger pricks, sometimes doing saliva samples, everything, but that's all in their face and that's all something that they, they have to do and they're doing counter movement jumps and it can all be quite of a drag. I think um, it got quite a lot of attention. Professor Barry Drust did an article about the amount of touch points that professional players have when they come into the training ground. And to be honest, if I was a professional player and everyone wants to prod me and poke me, then it gets to a certain level. And I think that now practitioners have realised that and we have to try to come up with different ways on how we can monitor players using the current tools that we're, we're using. That could be anything from looking at the accelerometer of a GPS or even we could have potentially a, a protocol that you undergo, for example, uh, on a match day plus two or a match day plus three or whatever day people decide that looks at how much your players recovered from their heart rate. So from their exercise and heart rates, they look at the percentages of the max they can get in a test. And then also the recovery heart rate um, after that test as well in the one, two, three minutes after. And that, that, that's been shown to uh, be sensitive to fitness adaptations and also fatigue uh, response as well. But it's likely if that is only one of your monitoring techniques, you need to come up with something else in order to act as a guideline against it because it's very difficult to distinguish what's fitness and what's fatigue. That's brilliant. Th- thank you very much for that for that background. And a lot of kind of what, what Liam's uh, discussed today is actually um, written an article. He's written a very... Um, good article for us for the next FMPA uh, publication which is something that should be coming out soon and I think listeners should um, definitely keep an eye out for that. Liam listen thank you very much for for joining us today Um, you've given some great insight on a a definite hot topic and something that I think everyone working in um, professional football and and all levels of football would be interested in. Listeners will put up the the links for the papers and the articles mentioned uh, just after the podcast, podcast release. You've been listening to the Football Medicine and Performance Podcast. Have a great day.